Welcome to Paddling the Blue. With each episode, we talk with guests from the Great Lakes and around the globe who are doing cool things related to sea kayaking. I'm your host, my name is John Chase, and let's get started Paddling the Blue. Welcome to today's episode of Paddling the Blue. Thank you for joining me today. It's been really exciting to see the growth of Paddling the Blue over the past few months. I'm so glad that so many of you from the more than 50 countries where we have regular listeners are enjoying all the episodes. Many of you have written me with ideas for future guests, so please keep those coming and I'll keep creating. Feel free to send me an email at john at paddlingtheblue.com with any of your ideas. And as always, thank you for listening and sharing with your friends. I really appreciate the support and I'm really glad that you're here. So for today's episode, I'm joined by Susan Conrad and we're going to talk with Susan about her love for Alaska's Inside Passage. Susan shares her story of her 2010 through paddle her preparation for that trip, and how paddling the Inside Passage has truly become a life-changing experience for her. So enjoy today's episode with Susan Conrad. Hi, Susan. Welcome to today's episode of Paddling the Blue. Oh, thanks, John. I'm just really excited about being a featured guest on your show. Excellent. I've been looking forward to talking to you here. So Susan, tell our listeners a little bit about you. A little bit about me. Well, I I guess um, I should start with the water. It seems like the most likely place to start. My uh, my parents actually did a really good job of instilling a fear of water in me um, because my cousin, their niece had drowned at the age of five. And I guess that they just didn't want their daughter to suffer the same demise. So they they forbid me to go anywhere near water. But, you know, what happens when you tell a child not to do something, right? It's, <laughs> it's almost as if I was magnetically drawn to water from a very young age. But I, I wouldn't set foot in a sea kayak until I was in my, I think, my early 30s. Backing up a little bit, even before then, when I was going to uh, college, I went to Southern Oregon University in Ashland, Oregon, and I was wandering around campus one day, and I saw a bunch of colorful, shiny things out on the campus lawn. So there were kayaks and rafts and tents and all sorts of things, and I stuck my head into what was um, what I learned was the outdoor program. And I asked, hey, you know, what is this? What do you guys do? That led uh, me down a path of becoming a raft guide and then getting very much into um, whitewater kayaking. It wasn't until I moved to um, landlocked Montana where I would first slither into a long skinny sea kayak. And, and I always joke that, you know, you don't need the sea to sea kayak. Freshwater works just fine. And um, that first sea kayaking experience, it was just a, a friend who was in the process of starting a, a kayak company. And she took me and a few other greenhorn kayakers out on a, a large glacially fed lake in northwest Montana. And uh, she put me in a, it was a Necky Arlick 3. And so a really long, skinny boat. And I remember feeling really tippy at first. But then with her coaching and me just kind of loosening my grip and relaxing a little bit, I just kind of got into the groove. I felt like I was getting my game on. And that was just such a, such an epiphany before me because I never really excelled at any sports. I, I actually kind of sucked. I was always the um, the last kid to be picked on, you know, all the school sports. I, I really couldn't hit a softball or, or kick a soccer ball to save my life. And I was always the last kid crossing the finish line for track or cross country. But when I got into kayaking, that not, I wouldn't say that I excelled at it right off the bat, but it, it was just something that I actually finally picked up easy and just really started to 
get better and better at in a pretty short period of time. Then when I realized that it's kind of like backpacking on the water and you can take all your stuff with you and just disappear for days on end, that, that was a total game changer. And that woman who took me on that first sea kayak trip, she ended up hiring me and she trained me to be a guide and an instructor. And I did that for almost 10 years. And during that time, I got ACA certified as an open water coastal instructor, which I still hold. And then um, I started my own kayak company, which I ran for about 10 years. And I ran that with um, a man who I loved at the time and uh, worked on creating a, a curriculum and, and sharing my passion of a sport that I loved. But then our relationship had dissolved and I got bought out of that business. And then my father died and I had inherited some money. So for the first time, I was, I was single and I had no huge obligations and I had time and I had money. That led me to uh, my first big expedition, which was kayaking the Inside Passage. And um, since that time, I guess you could say that the lion's share of my seafaring miles have come from my all-time favorite place to kayak, which, which is the Inside Passage. So for listeners who are not familiar, what is the Inside Passage? Go ahead and define that for us. Yeah, well, it's, it's a water trail, much like a hiking trail. Without the signposts and the poison ivy, I always joke. <laughs> but um, I like to think of it as a, a narrow artery that meanders along the western edge of North America. And it, it connects with, and it's, it's part of the Pacific Ocean. Most people consider Seattle, Washington to be its official starting point, although purists will say that it's Olympia. And then the Skagway, Alaska is the quote-unquote finish line where you literally run out of ocean about 1,200 miles later. If you travel it from south to north like I did, you'll paddle approximately 700 miles of the British Columbia coastline before crossing into southeast Alaska. Essentially, the Inside Passage is an extraordinary coastal route with some of the most spectacular fjords and complex coastlines in the world. And it's considered the most breathtaking and challenging or one of the most challenging paddling trips in North America. And it's kind of touted as a holy grail for those accessing it in long, skinny kayaks. Well, it's definitely one that's on my, uh, my personal list. That's for sure. I highly recommend it. Yeah. So uh, what's the approximate length of the Inside Passage Trail, I suppose? Well, if you, the, the whole thing from, uh, say you start down in Seattle and go all the way to Skagway is approximately 1,200 miles. Uh, my journey, I started a little north of Seattle in Anacortes, Washington, which is uh, the gateway to the San Juan Islands. And um, I intended on going all the way to Skagway, but for various reasons, I ended up calling the trip in Juneau. So it was 1,148 miles, to be exact. All right. <laughs> so what is it about the Inside Passage that spoke to you? Well, it's, it's a chunk of water that I'd had my sights on, on and off over the years, prior, prior to embarking on that trip. Mostly because a, a, a dear friend of mine had kayaked it in, I believe it was 1992. He did it solo, and uh, I'd gone to a couple of his slideshow presentations, and he was actually the very first person 
to take me on a saltwater adventure. I, like I mentioned, I learned to kayak in Montana on big lakes and lots of big, wide, lazy rivers. Um, but he took me to um, one of the lower estuaries, about as low as you can get in the Puget Sound. So essentially the, the starting line of the Inside Passage, which I didn't know at the time. And I, the whole time I was just so enamored and I kept sticking my finger in the water and licking it. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm paddling on salt water, I'm paddling on the ocean. Then with that same person and then other people, I would be introduced to portions of the San Juan Islands and then eventually places up in British Columbia, the Southern Gulf Islands and the Northern Gulf Islands. And I just, over time, I guess you could say I got this, this urge to want to connect the dots and um, just do, do the whole thing. And I'm just kind of wired to be a long distance paddler. I really enjoy clicking off the miles and just going day after day after day after day. So that was your first uh, through paddle, right? So you've done one through paddle so far? Yes, that was my first through paddle in 2010. Okay. And then uh, how long did it take you? Um, the entire trip from doorstep back to my doorstep was 75 days. That, that includes all the logistics, because I was living in Montana at the time, all the logistics of getting to the put-in and uh, the last-minute preparations, the journey itself. And then once I got to Juneau, I took the Alaska Ferry uh, three days rewinding my, my trip <laughs> all the way back to Bellingham, Washington. On the water was actually 66 days. All right. So how did you prepare for the trip? Um, the preparation was a big deal for me. I was real serious about it. And so I spent the better part of a year preparing on many levels, uh, physically, of course, logistically was a big part of it, and even mentally uh, and, and emotionally. And so physically, I just, you know, I reasoned that since I was going solo, I would have the best chance for success if I was in tip-top shape. So I did a lot of cross-training. Uh, of course, I paddled, did a lot of sports specificity. If you want to be good at any sport, you have to do that sport, right? Mm -hmm. But I also would run. I'm, I love to trail run even though I'm still very slow. Uh, mountain biking, uh, yoga, lots and lots of yoga to keep myself flexible and balanced. Um, I'm not a gym rat, but I joined a gym, which uh, actually ended up being a really good move because it really helped get my core, my core really strong. So I did all those things. And I think when I finally approached the starting line, I was feeling pretty confident in my physical abilities to, to pull this off. And then logistically, most of that was really about acquiring and managing all the charts that I was going to need for my intended route and um, just plotting and planning and getting all my gear around, uh, testing all that gear. And then, of course, making sure all of my seamanship skills and my rescue skills and all that was up to snuff. I think, like I mentioned, the mental and emotional part of it, I think more of that was about I'm, I'm really into positive visualization. So I, I did a lot of just closing my eyes and, and just trying to visualize what it would be like when my bow successfully scrubbed up on the shore at the, at the finish line and, and, and what that, not only what that would look like, but what it would feel like and smell like and taste like, uh, that sort of thing. And then, then I also felt that since I was so physically and logistically prepared that that helped that that mental component that I just I just felt more mentally 
prepared because of all those other levels that I had spent so much time on. So now, aside from charts, what resources did you use to plan the trip? Every website that I could get my hands on, every book that I could get my hands on, because of course there were others that had come before me. And then um, my friend who had first turned me on to sections of the Inside Passage, his name is Jim. He, he, you know, he mentored me. He would come up to my place in Montana and help me pour over the charts and we'd look at Google Earth and, and just answered, you know, my, my slurry of questions. So he, he was tremendously helpful in helping me plan the journey. So tell us about the experience along the way and what kind of, what did you see and, and what was the experience like? Boy, it was. <laughs> it's a hard question. There's the, you saw 66, yeah. 66 days worth of, of amazing, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. I mean, my journey really wasn't void of chronic hardship, but for the most part, it was, I, I refer to it as a magic carpet ride. There were so, so many magical moments where I was just, I was just like in the, always in the pinch me phase. It's like, am I really doing this? You know, especially in the beginning, I had really good weather. I started on May 5th, which seems, a lot of people ask me, why did I start so early? But that seemed like a, a good time to launch because I didn't know how long it was going to take me. Most people take about three months and I didn't want to be up in Alaska going, you know, too late into the season. But I had really good weather going through the San Juans and, and the Southern Gulf Islands. And um, I don't think I even had to pitch my tarp for the first couple of weeks, <laughs> which is really unusual. Uh, but of course, you have to pay the piper somewhere, and I, I did. I did get into to bad weather and um, some um, less than marginal circumstances. <laughs> but gosh, when I got up into Alaska, in particular, it's just the mountains seemed bigger, and the rocks seemed shinier, and the ocean seemed more blue. There were icebergs and whales almost every day. It was just an incredible experience, and. Um, as I got closer to the end of the journey, actually my, my very last campsite was to this day, hands down, my favorite campsite out of the entire journey. And, and it's always where I go to when I need to go to my happy place because it was just, I was 15 miles shy of, of my final destination of Juneau. And it was just everything that you would want in a campsite. There, there were, well, first there were no bears. I, I had quite a few, uh, campsites that had that were outwitted, intended campsites that were outwitted by um, territorial mama bears. So no signs of bears. Um, there, I had a babbling brook. I had uh, breathtaking views um, of snow-capped peaks on the other side of the of the channel. Brilliant pink wildflowers all around my tent. I felt like I was camped in a postcard. And uh, I have that picture as my um, screensaver. I, like I said, I just, when I need to go to my happy place, I just kind of immerse myself in what it was like to be living that dream. So did you see many other paddlers along the way? Ironically, I did not. I saw, when I was going around Cape Caution, which appropriately named Cape Caution, which is um, north of Vancouver Island. So it's a part of the inside passage that is really not on the inside. It's very exposed to, for about 40 to 50 miles of everything that the Pacific Ocean can and will dish out. But when I was going around Cape Caution, I was heading north, I saw a couple in a tandem heading south. And they were quite a ways offshore. We pretty much just waved and chatted to each other. And then, um, 
Going through the Gulf Islands, I saw a few recreational paddlers. They were obviously just out for the day. And then further up in Alaska, I saw in a distance a group of canoes. There must have been oh, seven or eight canoes that looked like they were filled with young people. So it was probably, a, I don't know, an Outward Bound or Boy Scout um, adventure. And I promptly just went on the other side of the island because <laughs> <laughs> I was really in it for the solitude. But that was really all that I had encountered in, in regards to other paddlers. So you mentioned weather and, uh, and conditions along Cape Caution. So what were the conditions like for the most part, excluding Cape Caution? Excluding Cape Caution. Well, <laughs> yeah, it was stormbound for three days at Cape Caution with thirty-foot uh, seas raging out around the Cape. But it was it was really a mix. You know, I had good weather in the beginning, good weather toward the end, but in the middle, you know, not not so much. There were days where it just poured rain. I mean, you're paddling through a rainforest, so you kind of have to expect yep. to be wet and cold. Um, but a few times it was like, okay, I want my money back. This wasn't in the brochure. <laughs> so just r- relentless rain, a lot of winds. You know, some days where I had hoped to paddle 20 or 25 miles, that was typically what I averaged. You know, I'd be lucky if I could, you know, carve out five or six miles. I would just have to stop because it just wasn't worth the effort that I had to expend. I had a lot of wind in Johnstone Strait, which is uh, about a 60-mile long stretch of water that runs between Vancouver Island, the the east side of Vancouver Island, and the mainland. Um, I was warned it's a pretty schizophrenic uh, chunk of water, notorious for wind, just terrible wind and and, uh, waves. And so people always ask me if I ever capsized on this trip, and I never did, but Johnstone Strait is where I came the closest to capsizing. Other than that, of course, every big body of water that I had to cross, all all the big straits, uh, Queen Charlotte Strait, Strait of Georgia, Dixon Entrance, um, all those seemed to give me a run for my money with with big wind and big big water. Okay, so to give uh, listeners kind of a scale for that, what would be the average conditions in those, uh, those, those big wind, big water kind of days? Oh, it's always so hard to, to judge. Um, kayakers, including myself, <laughs> tend to overestimate. It's oh, like, sure. Yeah, I was in a 40-knot 40, 40 gale and <laughs> 10-foot waves. It's like, no, you weren't. <laughs> well, maybe you were, but I would guess maybe three to four meter swell. So a meter is, what, okay. about three feet? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And then winds, you know, if the winds are over 20 knots, that's when I throw in the towel. It's just like... You know, th- this is not fun, especially if it's opposing a, a current or a tide and the yeah. waves tend to stack up. So I was pretty conservative since I, I was paddling solo. I, you know, I wasn't out there on a death wish. So so I was pretty conservative and, and would, would call it if I needed to. So let's talk about the solo piece. You just mentioned that you've done this trip. You, you did this trip solo. So why solo? Yeah, um, I get that question a lot. And I always ask myself how would my trip have been different had I not gone solo? I think that I would have really grieved over that lost dimension. You know, for example, the solitude. That's how I got into, or why kayaking so appealed to me is because I quickly realized its potential for solitude. And the solitude is really at the heart of the journey for me. And I'm not one of those people that equate solitude with isolation or loneliness for for me it's really more about 
introspection. So, so there was a lot of that. Um, there was also going solo really gives me more of a, a heightened sense of awareness. It's just this clarity of mind that you don't get when you go with other people, at least in my opinion. And then, of course, the experience is all yours. For me, it was so empowering to be 100, 100% reliable on my own skill set, on my own decisions, and you know, just basically for my own safety. Yeah, I, I know personally, I, I enjoy a good solo trip, and probably for the same reasons. It's, uh, you yeah. know, you're relying on yourself, and you can really just get inside your own head. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I still feel to this day that because of the solitude that I experienced on the Inside Passage, that I continue to feel a deep gift of gratitude and satisfaction that permeates far beyond the, the physical beauty that I experienced. Now, did you have any, uh, any emotional challenges? Um, you know, how did you deal with the emotional side of paddling solo? <laughs> um, yeah, I had a few I guess if you call meltdowns and <laughs> hissy fits and anxiety attacks, emotional challenges, I, yeah, I had a few of those. <laughs> um, my, my biggest um, meltdown where I came actually really close to just aborting the whole trip was, I think I was about 45, 46 days into the, into the trip. I'm still in British Columbia. Uh, and I'm, I'm going through um, a long, narrow fjord. It's about uh, 50, 60 miles in length, and it's, co- it's called Grenville Channel. A lot of through paddlers of the Inside Passage know what I'm talking about. At the time that I was going through, I mean, I knew that there were going to be extreme tidal differences, but just so that how it ended up that uh, at the time that I was transiting it, it was a new moon and getting pretty close to the summer solstice. So these extreme tidal differences were even more pronounced. So we're talking an exchange of about 24, 25 feet. Um, so extreme low tides where, you know, you got to pack the, the boat and all the gear, sometimes the equivalent of two football fields. And you like, you wake up in the morning, you're like, holy cow, who pulled <laughs> the plug on the bathtub? And you know, when you're, when you're solo, that's a tremendous amount of work. Oh, yeah. So the land-based chores is really what was wearing me down. And then these extreme high tides where I am just pushed back up against the cliffs uh, as far as I can possibly go. I just can't get to higher ground. So there was a, um, a series of, I think, three or four days where I'm dealing with these extreme tides and not getting much sleep. A couple of times the water had flooded my tent site, and I knew that was going to happen. I was prepared for it, but it really messes with your beauty sleep. And then (laughs) um, it made camping really problematic because, you know, there's these little tiny pocket beaches, and I'm I'm looking at my chart and, and thinking, oh, I can carve out a campsite around this next corner. But I would come to that so-called next campsite and there would be there was a uh, mama bear mama brown bear with cubs on on this third day that i'm experiencing this so by now i'm extremely exhausted i have like um uh, no no sense of humor left and there's a mama bear and i've already gone gone about 20 miles at that point which is a reasonable distance at the time but it's like okay i'm looking at the chart looks like oh there's another possible campsite another seven eight miles i got seven eight miles in me so i keep going and going and i come to that pocket beach same exact scenario there is um, a mama bear with a couple of cubs 
And, uh, you know, I'm not going to have a property dispute with her. So I just kept <laughs> paddling and paddling. What else are you going to do, right? And then, of course, the wind had picked up. I'm in this steep-walled fjord. And uh, it's starting to get really nasty. It's raining sideways. And I'm starting to get hypothermic. And finally, I paddled almost 40 nautical miles that day, which for me, that was kind of over the top. So I finally landed and it was extremely marginal campsite. I just, I really felt like I had no other options. I was at the top of the channel and all that was left was a big crossing and I, I just wasn't up for a crossing. So it's just like, I have to make this work. I knew that I was succumbing to hypothermia. I'd taught classes on it before. And so at least, at least I was aware that it was slipping. Uh, I'm just slopping through the muck and the gunk and trying to get some shelter over my head, just trying to get my tarp up. And I'm just, I'm fumbling with it. My hands, my fingers are so cold that I can barely tie the, the knots to secure the corners. And um, I'm just starting to shiver, of course, and starting to shiver violently. And I, and I literally had my finger hovering over my VHF radio. That, that was one of several ways I had to call for help if, if it was an emergency. And this was starting to feel like an emergency. And so I'm rehearsing out loud what I'm going to say when I press that button to, you know, whoever picks up the call on the other end, the Coast Guard or some ship going by or whatever. And I think just going through that process, um, my ego, it must have been my ego that kicked in. And I just started screaming at the top of my lungs. I just, I started having this meltdown of epic proportions, just screaming like bloody murder like that, just looking like this raving lunatic. It just, reset something in my brain and like all of a sudden it's just like it's like okay Susan you got yourself into this you know just figure a way out and like the tarp just magically cooperated I, I got the tarp up and then I just started being really focused I got I got the tent set up I got all my 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 uh, precious sleeping bag inside the tent my lifeline I called it um, huddled under the tarp on my hands and knees over my little tiny stove and um, made got some sort of hot meal going, which I devoured in about 30 seconds, just got some <laughs> calories in me and climbed inside the tent and laid down and inhaled two Snickers bars, uh, pulled my wool hat over my eyes and uh, just said, this too shall pass. That's, that's, a, that's, that's quite a day. Yeah, that was quite a day. <laughs> <laughs> so did you do uh, resupplies along the way or did you carry everything with you? Oh, no, I, I did. I had, gosh, I should know this, five or six resupply ports of call. So towns that I would paddle into to, to retrieve my supplies that were mailed ahead by my friend Jim. He knew how critical it was that those would be where they needed to be on time. So let's see, I had in British Columbia, I had um, Powell River, um, Port Hardy on Vancouver Island, Bella Bella. Prince Rupert, yeah, four in British Columbia, and then Ketchikan in Alaska, and Petersburg. And then I had one scheduled for uh, Juneau so that I could make it on to Skagway another 100 miles, but I ended up calling the trip in Juneau. So, so do, you, yeah. do you send to the post office for general delivery, or are there particular mm -hmm. people that you'd send along the way? Yeah, to, um, so, some through paddlers do. I mean, if you have connections in these different ports, that works quite well but I did not, so these all went to, to general delivery, whichever town it was that I was coming into. It worked, it worked out just fine. I'd, uh, you know, 
traipse into the, the post office and give them my ID and pretty quick they'd come come out carrying a, a big huge cardboard box with all my goodies and it was it was kind of like uh, Christmas uh, each time I did that because it had all uh, you know a whole fresh batch of food lots of things that I had um, meals that I prepared dehydrated um, chocolate all my friends knew that I'm um, a chocoholic, so they would make sure Jim tucked plenty of surprises inside those boxes. And then, of course, the, the charts that I would need for the next leg. Sure. You mentioned VHF radio, too. Uh, what other safety gear did you carry with you? In the event that I needed to be seen, heard, or found in an emergency, um, in addition to the VHF radio, I had a spot satellite tracking device which, you know, basically so people could follow me along the way, but I could, there was an SOS button that I could press in an emergency. Fortunately, I never needed that feature. Um, I also had flares. I had a foghorn. My cell phone, which I had in a waterproof case, I could operate it through the case, but, you know, the cell phone worked 20% of the time up there, so you definitely don't want to rely on that. Other safety gear, I had... Um, well, your immersion wear is, mm -hmm. I consider, safety gear. So at that time, I'm, I'm a dry suit person now, but at that time I wore a three mil wetsuit with a dry top and then, you know, neoprene booties and gloves and a hat if needed that particular day. I had a, a pretty comprehensive first aid kit and a repair kit. I'm just kind of uh, visually going through how I would pack my kayak <laughs> in, term, <laughs> in terms of safety gear. What advice would you give to someone who is uh, thinking of their own through paddle? Well, I would say, go have yourself an adventure. <laughs> you know, set a date first and foremost, and just commit to that date. Like, do like I did, you know, find a mentor. I think anybody that does something substantial in their lives has a mentor or some sort of guide to, to lead them along the way. Read books, get your hands on every book out there and there sure is an assortment. Books about the Inside Passage. Um, I wrote a, a memoir about my experience. Um, there's also guidebooks and how-to books. And then of course, be sure that your seamanship skills and equipment are up to snuff. And most importantly, I think if you choose to paddle with others, be sure you pick your paddling companions carefully. <laughs> yes. And above all, you know, have fun and, and remember to be in the moment because when you're out there, right, what else is there? No, nothing but the moment. Absolutely. All about the experience. So how have you connected with the Inside Passage? You know, it's, for me, it's like a, a sense of place. I know, I know that's like an elusive concept, but for me, it's it's about this feeling of connectedness that, that I get with the inside passage of, of belonging, I guess, of, I just love the simplicity of it. And, and I think there's no place else that I feel this connection as I do when I'm paddling through the inside passage, this incredible diverse marine environment and, and experiencing that day-to-day that -day rhythm. And it's also, for me, it's, the Inside Passage is a love of place. And when I think back on all the places I visited via kayak, I feel profoundly filled with the power of these places. And, you know, just you know, thinking about the remote rainforest that I've paddled through and hearing that unmistakable poof of a, a whale spouting or 
watching icebergs flaunt their beauty. I mean, it's just, it's so powerful. It, it seems like the Inside Passage has become a, a springboard of sorts for everything that I've done in my life since that 2010 trip. It's just led to so many magical things that all are interconnected. Like, for example, I never intended to write a book when I did this trip. I was just going on a journey and then that happened rather organically. And then that, of course, led to a book tour, which led to more polished slideshow presentations and just inspiring people to just believe in themselves and follow their dreams and, and take on their own adventures, you know, whatever th those goals might be. And then eventually um, that led to bigger speaking engagements and gigs on cruise ships going up the Inside Passage. And one of the things that I really love is over time, I've become a mentor of sorts for other folks wanting to experience the Inside Passage, you know, any or all of it, and started um, offering workshops on, on how to plan and execute Inside Passage expeditions. One thing that I'm really excited about is that I have a, a kid's book coming out that's loosely adapted from my the adult version of this journey. And it's really all about getting people from, you know, four to 104 just to follow their dreams and, and believe in themselves. So it's really changed your life both personally and professionally then. I mean, the intent passage has. It really has. It's when I think back, it's just really, really mind blowing. And, and I'm always trying to think of ways that, that I can give back to the inside passage. And I think, you know, by, by mentoring and inspiring other people, and then also one thing that I'm really kind of keyed in lately is um, immersing myself in this huge issue of uh, marine plastic pollution. And, you know, I spent a lot of time paddling along these remote coastlines, wilderness coastlines, and I'm seeing firsthand how plastic and marine debris are seriously impacting our, our oceans. And so now I'm trying to be part of the solution, uh, part of the, the greater good, if you will. And um, recently... I, um, I was kayaking up in Alaska. I've been back a couple weeks now, but I spent almost a month up in Southeast Alaska paddling some pretty remote areas, some really remarkable wild coastlines. And part of that journey was volunteering at a lighthouse um, way, way out in the outer islands. And that was just kind of a mind-blowing experience. I was part of a crew of uh, 11 other volunteers at this lighthouse, and we were doing beach surveys. Uh, most, most of these beaches we kayaked to, some of them we hiked, but so we were harvesting all this plastic, uh, every bit of it from little tiny pieces of lighters and tampon applicators and simple single-use plastic and derelict fishing gear. I mean, every, every bit of it was harvested and cataloged and removed off those beaches, and it really got me fired up to want to do more, to, to learn more, and to, to share this with others. So, so that they might care too. So you're finding that in even the most remote places on the, on the coastline. Yeah, yeah. I mean, where we were, we, we were 100 miles from in either direction from the closest port of call. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. So you had a second through paddle planned in 2020, but that didn't happen. So, uh, so what's next for you and when? Well, I'm hoping that I can pull that second through paddle off next year we'll, we'll see how see how all the everything falls into place but you know 2020 would have been the 10-year anniversary of of my first trip that <laughs> mm -hmm. had a you know had a nice ring to it but you know oh well 20 2022 will work just as well 
This time, part of my route's gonna be a little bit different, uh, a little bit more on the outside in certain areas, taking a little bit, once I get to Ketchikan, more of a, a northwest trajectory, so I won't really be on the quote-unquote inside passage anymore. I'll be more on the outside and hopefully ending in Sitka. So starting, I now have the, the good fortune of living part-time on an island in the inside passage, just barely south, a stone's throw south of the Canadian border called Lummi Island. So of course I'll start there and I hope to end in Sitka, Alaska. That sounds terrible living on an island in the inside yeah. passage. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> what do they say? It's a dirty, thankless job, but someone has to do it. <laughs> so you mentioned a book earlier. Uh, so tell us about the book Inside, One Woman's Journey Through the Inside Passage and its companion book, Wildly Inside. So I'm really proud of both of them. So Inside, the, the memoir, was published in 2016. And since that time, it's won five awards, which I'm really proud of. And like I said, it's just taken me on this, this journey, this, this gift that keeps on giving, the, you know, the, the journey of the book and all those other places and levels it's taken me. And then I also published a, um, a companion book to it called Wildly Inside, a visual journey through the Inside Passage. And I took like, gosh, 5,000 photos on that 2010 trip. And there's only about a dozen published in the memoir in the centerfold there. So I just had this ache in my heart to get, you know, more than just a dozen out of those 4,000 out of the confines of my computer and out into the world. So that was the catalyst for me to design and self-publish the photo book. Both of those books are also available in, um, a, what do you call it, electronic format. And then, like I mentioned a little bit ago, I've got the, the children's book coming out in, in about a month. So I've been working with an extremely talented illustrator in Seattle, and she has just done an amazing job of bringing my, my vision to life with, with her colorful, bold illustrations. So without ruining the, uh, the story of the book, what's the, what's the focus of Inside? The focus of Inside, it's... It's a memoir, right? So okay. there's a lot of personal history, backstory wrapped up into why I chose to do this and, and how I'm wired to, to really crave solitude and, and challenge. And then, of course, the journey itself. But it's, it's really so much more than just this story about a woman in an in a 18-foot red kayak plying the coast of North America. It's, it, it goes much deeper than that. You know, I always, I always use the word epiphany. I had this epiphany on my very last day at that very last campsite that I described earlier, my happy place. And I guess I'm a slow learner, but it's just like it really took me that whole time to truly grasp this double meaning of the outer and inner journey, you know, the, the, in, the whole inside thing. So, you know, meaning the, the obvious physical outer experience combined with the more personal inner journey. And, and I just realized, and what I try to come across in the book is that it wasn't so much about me achieving this goal of paddling the inside passage as it was about the process of paddling that coastline and, and just being open to everything that was placed in my path that that um being in the now sort of thing that i often struggle with all right so i will make sure i put links in the show notes where uh, people can can pick up both books and learn more and just really experience that journey along with you Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, you mentioned the third book, Inside My Sea of Dreams. So tell us a little bit more about that one. 
Yes, yeah, so it um, the opening scene is uh, a little girl, which would be me, um, having this dream of a big adventure in a very tiny boat. So she's dreaming of a, a kayak adventure. And it just goes on to tell the story of how she didn't live anywhere near the ocean. And one day her mom takes her to the ocean. Um, she's a very young adult, um, still, still living at home and absolutely enamored by it. And just decides to follow her dream of, of wanting to kayak. She goes to Kayak World <laughs> and picks out a beautiful rainbow kayak. And uh, unbeknownst to her at the time, this kayak is alive. It actually talks and offers guidance. And so together they um, start on smaller bodies of water and eventually plan this big trip of going to Alaska. And it's about all the, the magic and trials and tribulations that, um, that greet them along the way. So when is that one planning to come out? Well, if we stay on track here, I'm hoping for early October. Okay. So October 2021 for those that are listening in the future. Pretty soon. Yes, ah. October 2021. Exciting stuff. So yeah. you mentioned earlier that you hadn't planned to write a book, but at some point along the way you decided to. So what is it that made you decide to, to write that book? What, what was the impetus for that? I, well, I started giving these informal slideshow presentations to friends in Montana. And gosh, almost every time it seemed like, you know, at the Q&A at the end, someone would raise their hand and be like, when's the book coming out? And I would just <laughs> poo-poo it. I was like, ah, book, yeah, I haven't got time for a book. And, and, but it just kept coming up and coming up. You know, I, I do have a background in writing. My, my degree is in uh, journalism uh, and photojournalism. But I'd never written a book before. I'd written, I'd had lots of articles published, um, newspaper articles, magazines, a lot of my photography published, blogs. But a book is a whole different ball of wax. But actually a year, I, I launched on May 5th, 2010. And so on May 5th, 2011, I started taking it a little seriously. And I started transcribing my journals um, into my computer. So I, I used a waterproof write in the rain notebooks that I took in the kayak with me. And I was, since I am a writer, um, I did write pretty extensively most every day. And I just started on May 1st, 2011. I recorded that day. And on May 2nd, I recorded what happened a year ago on and on and on for the 66 days I was on the water until it was all done, until I had it all on my computer. And then I, I sat back and I was like, well, <laughs> That's not even remotely close to being a book, and I, I didn't even find it that particularly exciting. <laughs> but over the years, uh, I just I kept at it, you know, on and off because I, you know, I was working other jobs. Then my boyfriend kind of really prodded me to get serious about it, and he kept kind of saying, "You know, hey, how's that book coming?" <laughs> you know, with a little bit of attitude. So I just I got serious, and I hired a professional editor. And boy, did she ever polish that up and really help me weave it into a relatable story. It just ended up being everything that I, that I hoped it would be. Excellent. And that's gone on to win five awards, you said, right? It has won five awards, yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. So how can listeners reach you and learn more about you and learn more about the books? And you mentioned that uh, you're doing workshops on planning inside passage trips. How can people find out about those too? 
The easiest way, the most direct way, would be just to go to my website, which is uh, my full name, SusanMarieConrad.com. So S-U-S-A-N-M-A-R-I-E-C-O-N-R-A-D.com. And then on the homepage, and um, I think actually every page at the bottom, are links to all of my social media. So they can go there and learn about what's going on now and all my past adventures. Um, I have an events link and a blog link and they can just surf away to their heart's content. Very cool. Well, I will, again, I'll make sure uh, along with the ways for people to find the book, I'll make sure I get links in there to susanmarieconrad.com so people can check that out and learn more about the different appearances that you're making and the workshops and, and all those things and have an opportunity to plan their own Inside Passage uh, trip as well. Fantastic. And I encourage people to reach out to me. I just, I love questions. Ask me anything. Don't be shy. Email me if you want to know anything about the Inside Passage or would like some resources or references. Just just fire away. All right. Well, I'm certain that some listeners will reach out to you. I've had lots of folks that say that the Alaska was on their bucket list. So uh, yeah, we'll see. Nice. So one final question for you, Susan, uh, and it's a question that we ask all of our guests here on the show, and that is, who else would you like to hear as a future guest on Paddling the Blue? I think a woman named Wendy Killerin would be a great fit. Uh, she lives up in British Columbia. She is um, a, an adventurer. She's a, a long-distance paddler. She has circumnavigated, I believe she was the first woman to solo circumnavigate Newfoundland. And she's also um, done quite a bit of the Great Lakes. And she circumnavigated Prince Edward Island. And she just has this amazing ability to articulate on, on a really deep level what it is that, that draws her to adventures and wildness and particularly solo paddling. So, yeah, I, I think you should reach out to Wendy. All right. I think I read a story um, that she had published in, I want to say it was Ocean Paddler, about mm. a circumnavigation of, uh, of Lake Superior. It could be somebody else, but the names seem familiar to me. Quite possibly. Yeah. Well, excellent. Well, Susan, it's been fantastic talking to you and learning about uh, the Inside Passage and your journey along the Inside Passage and how it's changed you both personally and professionally. And I encourage uh, all of our listeners to go and uh, grab a copy of the book and learn for themselves and uh, as well reach out to you if they're planning their own trip and learn how to do so. Well, thank you so much, John. It's been a pleasure being your guest. Thank you. If you want to be a stronger and more efficient paddler, Power to the Paddle is packed with fitness guidance and complete descriptions along with photos of more than 50 exercises to improve your abilities and enjoy your time on the water. The concept and exercises in this book have helped me become a better paddler and they can make a difference for you too. The exercises in the book can help you reduce tension in your shoulders and low back, use the power of your torso to create leverage and use less energy with each stroke, use force generated from your lower body to make your paddling strokes more efficient, have the endurance to handle long days in the boat, drive through the toughest waves or whitewater, protect your body against common paddling injuries, and while you're at it, you might even lose a few pounds, and who wouldn't mind that? So visit paddlingexercises.com to get the book and companion DVD.
It's amazing how paddling can truly change lives, and it has certainly done that for Susan. She's a great resource for anyone looking to plan their own inside passage expedition, so I would encourage you to take her up on the offer, reach out to her. Check out the show notes in this episode at www.paddlingtheblue.com, where you'll find links to her books and contact information for Susan. Our next episode will take us to the state of Utah in the U.S. for a trip around the Great Salt Lake with Scott Baxter. Now, this trip was an adventure, but that wasn't the purpose. Listen in to learn why this trip is important. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to bringing you the next episode of Paddling the Blue. Thank you for listening to Paddling the Blue. You can subscribe to Paddling the Blue on Apple Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Please take the time to leave us a five-star review on Apple Music. We truly appreciate the support. And you can find the show notes for this episode and other episodes, along with replays of past episodes, contact information, and more at paddlingtheblue.com. Until next time, I hope you get out and paddle the blue.